Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Who's ready to hear the Word of God? Why don't you stand up? I'm just going to read the, the scripture that this series is based out of. It's really instructions from all of Matthew 10, but the verse that the Lord uh, led me to, that gave it its title is this verse, it's Matthew 10, 26 and 27. Don't be afraid or intimidated by others, for God will bring everything out to the open and every secret will be told. What I say to you in the dark, repeat in broad daylight. And what you hear in a whisper, announce it publicly. You can take your seats. So if you remember back in the fall, we had a series called The Garden. And in the middle of that series, or near the end of that series, on a breakthrough night, which is Thursday nights, incredible stuff always happens in those breakthrough nights. You're always welcome to come. But towards the end of this Garden series, I was laying in my spot there on my rug, and the Lord just dropped this vision onto me. And it's what produced this series, Whispers and Shouts. So the vision, if, if you know, I've told several visions before where the Lord showed me my, my grandfather's farm. It's a very special place to me up in Canada that I grew up near in my childhood. And uh, the Lord often uses that in, in visions that he gives me. And so in this vision, I saw myself as a tiny boy, and there was a, there's a hill about a mile or two from my grandparents' farm um, that's the, the largest hill in the surrounding area. It's called Knee Hill. And I saw myself in this vision as a little boy, and I was on a rocking horse at the top of this hill looking towards my grandparents' farm. And I was rocking back and forth, forth on this little horse, and I looked around, and for as far as I could see, all around the farm, there were other little boys on rocking horses as well. And I looked towards the farm, and in the, in the center of the farm is my grandma's garden. It's the central feature between two houses that are on the farm property. Huge garden, as big as a football field, maybe bigger. And in, the, in my vision, in the middle of the garden was Jesus, as described in Revelation, fully white as the warrior Jesus, and he was sitting on a white horse. And our eyes from like a mile or two away, our eyes locked. And I heard him whisper, come here. And it was like his mouth wasn't moving, but his spirit was talking to my spirit. He says, come here to the garden. So flash forward in the next scene of the vision, I was further down the hill, and this time I was on a miniature horse. I was a little more grown up, and I looked around, and a lot of boys had fallen off their horses, a lot of them. There were a few left, and I looked towards the garden again, and I heard him say, come, come to me. And the next scene, I was down in the wheat field, closer to the farm now, and this time I was on a a brown horse. I was maybe a teenager, early 20s. I'd kept maturing as I got closer to the farm. 
And I looked towards the garden once again, and I could, I could feel myself coming closer to his presence. And again, he, his spirit was calling mine, just saying, come close, Chris. Come to me, Chris. And I looked around, and more boys had fallen off their horses. There weren't very many left now. And the ones that were left, there were, at this point, there were some gophers in this um, wheat field. And the other boys on their horses, most of them, they had pulled out guns and they were shooting at the gophers, which is a great thing to do. We, we used to do that out at the farm. So I was tempted to pull out my gun and shoot the gophers, but I heard the Lord say, no, don't get distracted by the gophers, Chris. And I looked back towards the garden again and Jesus was beckoning me on his white horse, come, come to me. Next scene, I was a lot older. I was right next to the, the gravel road, next to the farm. And I was on a silver horse, a lot bigger horse. I was a lot older. And that road, I've described in another vision, that road is Range Road 250 is the name of the road. And in Luke 2, verse 50, it talks about Jesus' parents not understanding what he was doing. See, one of the things the Lord wants to break off today is the fear of man. The fear of even your family understanding your call to come to Jesus. And so I knew something significant was happening on that road. And, and right past the road, the entrance to the farm, there was like this force field that was guarding or surrounding the farm. And it looked a little intimidating, but... I heard the Lord say, come, it's okay, step through, come to the garden. So I got off my horse, and I stepped through this force field. And as soon as I did, I found myself on my back in the middle of a green meadow that's right next to the garden. And I was that older man before I had stepped through the force field, but all of a sudden, as I stepped into the farm, into the garden, and was laying on my back, I turned back into that blonde little boy that was on top of the hill. See, maturity is becoming a children, a child again. That's how we mature in the kingdom. And so I found myself as this little boy right next to the garden. I could see Jesus over to my right, still on his horse, and I was looking up at pure blue sky. Sunlight was coming down, and all of a sudden I felt these hands pick me up. It was the hands of the Father. And the father took me over to where Jesus was, and he set me, that little boy, on his horse right in front of him, just like a father would help a little boy ride a horse. And I was sitting there with Jesus, and I remember in the vision, I saw his left hand come and put it on my leg, and I saw the nail marks in his hand. I could feel the power. And then he leaned his head forward to my ear, and he said, repeat what I say. And he told me to say something. I don't know exactly what the words were, but then I shouted it out. And when I shouted what he, t what he whispered in my ear, everything transformed around me. You know those movies that kind of have like the fast forward like blur, blurred feature and everything kind of changes in one second. 
That's what happened. And I realized that as soon as I shouted what he whispered to me, it changed everything. 10,000 times 10,000 things were being healed, were being changed, were being shifted in that moment. And that was the end of the vision. One of the most beautiful visions that the Lord's ever given me, I'll never forget it. And I thought there's something to the whisper of Jesus that can't just stop at a whisper. It's got to be shouted through our voices. What I say to you in the dark, repeat in broad daylight. And what you hear in a whisper, announce it publicly. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for resurrection life that we have, that we can boldly come and access you. Thank you for the intimacy that we have in the garden with you. Father, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we know the Spirit is calling us to come closer. We draw close to you and you draw close to us, Father. That's the place of power. That's the place of intimacy. And it starts with a whisper. So, Father, this morning, would you whisper gently to our souls? We bind and rebuke every distraction, every gopher from the pit of hell. We send it back there. And we say we're only focused on one. We're focused on your voice, your whisper. Give us clarity to hear. You said, blessed are your ears, for you can hear. Blessed are your eyes, for you can see. Make that happen this morning in our hearts, Father, so that we can take your whisper and repeat it and shout it to a world that needs to hear your voice. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, you and I are both disciples and apostles. We, we've taught this over and over at Church 214, but maybe you haven't heard that before. But see, disciples, we start out as disciples. We, we continue always being disciples, but disciples are the called out ones. They're the ones that follow Jesus. Because he's the one that steps on your shoreline and he calls you from your boat and he says, drop everything, come and follow me. And then he starts walking. And then it's your choice, it's my choice, if we're going to actually step after him. There's a motion, there's a movement that needs to happen as a disciple of Jesus. That's why this church is named after Acts 2.14, where you're stepping forward together after Jesus. We're his disciples. But then we're also his apostles. And apostles are ones that are sent from Jesus. So we, 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 we are discipled by Jesus, following him, and then Jesus sends us out as his emissaries, his, his emissaries, his apostles that go and, and take new territory for the kingdom. Amen? See, the power and authority of Jesus that you carry in, as an apostle first comes from that place of intimacy as a disciple. You cannot be an apostle without first being a disciple. Jesus said this in John 5. He said, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. 
It's Jesus modeled this for us. It's that place of intimacy that the son has with the father in the place like the Garden of Gethsemane. That's what gives him the power. That's what gives us the power, that place of intimacy as a disciple. That's the place where he reveals his mystery to us. And it's from that place of the branches being connected to the vine that the fruit is released. If you are lacking the fruit of the spirit in your life, it's because you're not connected to the vine. Simple as that. We cannot be sent out from Jesus effectively as apostles without simultaneously being the disciple in that secret place, that intimacy, that place of Yadah. The authority that we have in Jesus only comes from that place. That's why we focus so much on intimacy in the last year, intimacy with Jesus. That's, that's been a huge for, and it always will be, a place that we go back to and back to and back to. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, yada him. Be intimate with him, and then he will make your paths straight. If we're leaning even just a little bit with our own weight, we're going to miss the mark. We have to lean fully on him, completely dependent on the shepherd. That's why in Psalm, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That's, I mean, if you just want a place to start, start there. Go back to there. Because he'll make you lie down in green pastures. You have to submit and yield to him over and over again. That's the place that your power comes from because it's only his power. It's surrender than power. And we cannot, cannot afford to hear the wrong voice whispering to us, my friends. These are days that a lot of voices are speaking, and the, the, the devil comes like an angel of light, and we have to test every spirit, every spirit, every voice. That's why the place of intimacy is, is so important, because you have to be so close to Jesus that you only hear his whisper, and you're stiff-arming the other voices around you. Open your Bibles to Matthew 10. So this series is, is about what I call the Matthew 10 instructions from Jesus. So these guys, these, these disciples of his, these 12 have, have followed him for a while now. And this is the first time that Jesus is sending them out as apostles without his physical presence. His spirit's going to go with them, yes, but he's sending them out from him. I'm sure they were shaking in their boots. <laughs> it's all about listening to his whisper to then release his shout on the earth. And so Matthew 10, verse 1, Jesus calls his 12 disciples together, and he gave them authority to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness. Come on. And then Jesus sent the 12 apostles out with these instructions. He says, as you go, preach. As you go, there's movement. Preach. It's the first instruction. The kingdom of heaven is here. See, it's also very awesome that Jesus didn't send them alone. He sent them two by two. He doesn't do things in isolation. He, he does things in intimacy with himself, but that's different. That's not isolation. That's pressing into the Father. That's a place of solitude 
that we can, we can look at Jesus' life and say that's what Jesus does with the Father in solitude, but it's not a place of isolation. He sends you together because where there's two or three, there's the power of Jesus. And when one falls, the other picks another up. Amen? So you need, we need, we go together. That's why family, this church body is so important. We do this together. We don't do things in isolation. If you find yourself in isolation, that's the pit of hell. And by the grace of God, he will rescue you from that place. But reach out to somebody. That's where depression starts. That's where suicidal thoughts start. That's where all this stuff from the pit of hell starts, in isolation. So he says, preach. It's the Greek caruso. It means to proclaim, to announce a public message with conviction and boldness. Preach. It's a declaration of the words of God with authority. It's just like he, when he created the world, he, he preached. He said, let there be light, and there was light. See, we do what he does. The word is powerful. The words you write are powerful. The words you text are powerful. The words you speak are powerful. In the tongue is the power of life and what? Death. You choose every moment of every second of every day whether you're releasing life or you're releasing death. So he says, preach. And what does he say to preach? He says, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's now. It's available. This is, this is the baseline, my friends, as being an apostle. We say, no, it's not some distant, far-off place. Heaven is being established right here and right now. And I'm going to boldly proclaim that to my, my friends, my, my city, my region, all around me. I'm going to preach that the kingdom of heaven is near. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, right here, right now, on this soil, as it is in heaven. That's our mandate to say, establish God right now. Remove the demonic, establish your heavenly kingdom right here, right now. That's how we start with taking authority and territory for the kingdom. Amen? Release his voice on earth. It starts with that caruso, that bold proclamation, that announcement. The kingdom is here. The basilia, the sovereignty, the authority, the dominion, the kingdom of heaven is not far off. It's right here. It's right now. See, we get distracted by the gophers. We see, we see kings and kings and thrones and thrones just like Daniel did, and we get scared just like Daniel did. But we have to remember, like John said, come up higher. Come up here. And Daniel, he looked higher. He saw all this crazy stuff going on, the stuff that you and I see right now. But he didn't allow himself to get distracted by those other voices. He went higher and he finally saw the throne and the king and the highest authority. And so that's what we have. To, we are, we're positioned with him. If you know him, you're positioned with him in heavenly realms. You're seated far above all these other thrones and thrones and kings and kings. You're seated far above with Jesus, above principalities and powers that we wrestle with. That's the place of authority that we preach from. The kingdom is here and now his dominion is being established on earth. And we recognize the nearness of Jesus. He's close. He's available. He's right now. His spirit is moving. It's hovering over the waters of your life just like it did in the beginning. And then Jesus gives his second instruction, which is heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Anybody want to be an apostle? Let's go. 
So I was, I was asking the Lord, I said, how do you want me to teach on this phrase? And you know, if you're married, if you know when you say something really stupid and your wife just like doesn't even respond to you in words, but that just gives you a look like, uh, try again. That's what the father did to me. I'm like, oh yeah, we don't need to preach about it. We just need to do it. So we'll say that till the end, but we're going to heal the sick. We're going to cast out demons. I don't know if there's any dead people here today, probably spiritually dead, but we're going to raise some dead things in your life and my life. Okay, we're going to call out what is dead into the cross and let it be resurrected once again. Okay, you with me? Hopefully you'll be with me by the end. Heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Now we're getting going. Then Jesus says this. He says, freely release. I love this. This is so good. Freely release. You won't need a lot of money. Travel light. I'm actually going to save most of this for another message in a few weeks, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but this starts with a position of hands being open. Traveling light is so beautiful because we don't have to carry a lot of stuff. I think so many times we're trying to do this life just holding on to all these even good things the Father gives us because he's a good God who gives you good gifts. Everything good in your life is from him. But if you hold on to it without your hands being open, it can turn into an idol. And that's where the picture of, of, of the throne room of the elders, which are you and me, that are laying down their crowns continually before the Lamb. That's the picture of freely releasing. He's given you that crown on your head. It's a beautiful thing. Now your responsibility is to open your hands to take it off your head and give it back to him. That's the position of surrender over and over and over again. Freely release. Your authority comes from your hands being open. Because when your hands are open, it somehow opens your heart. That's why a lot of times in worship, we instruct you to open your hands. Because that physical, remember you're made out of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. That physical act of opening your hands in surrender opens your soul to have junk and stuff removed from it. And once that's removed, the Holy Spirit can fill it with him. Amen? The next thing Jesus says is, I love this. I preached on this like five, four or five years ago, and it shifted my life. Bring peace, but then shake the dust if peace is rejected. One of the greatest tensions that Jesus ever spoke was this. This one phrase will change your life if you, if you activate it in your life on a daily basis. In every sphere of your life, in your marriage, in your business, in your school, See, you are a carrier of his presence. And what's really cool is Peoria, if you don't know, it comes from the Indian word Piwariwa. It's true. It means carrier. So you, in this region, you are literally a carrier, but you are a carrier of the presence of Jesus. It's the greatest thing you could ever be charged with carrying. And when you, when you carry the Prince of Peace with you, you're bringing his peace and his shalom, which shalom is a beautiful word. It's a Hebrew word for, for peace. And it means the presence of the goodness of God. So awesome. So everywhere you go, you should be carrying this shalom. And everything you bump into, you should be bringing peace. 
But a lot of things that you bring peace to, there's not a peaceful response all the time, is there? See, and, and a lot of times we just keep trying to force peace on a situation. Like, no, I'm, I'm bringing peace. And, and you have to make sure you're bringing it with, with such a good heart, with a pure heart. That's why you have to have your hands open in the release freely posture first. But you bring that peace, and if that peace is rejected, this sounds harsh, but it's not. If someone rejects the peace that you bring, you're instructed by Jesus to shake the dust off your sandals and move on. Do you know how much time we've wasted wrestling with spirits that are on people that are at war with us? You cannot force peace on someone. Now, Jesus is still going to go after them. He's maybe not going to use you. He needs you to move on. Because someone else in another town needs peace. That's why Jesus says, bring peace, and if it's rejected, shake the dust. It's one of the most spiritual things that you can do. The world has just told us that it sounds harsh. See, if you apply this to your life, even business, I've used this in business. Like, There's some customers that you don't want to have. You need to shake the dust. There's some customers that they don't want peace. And so you say, okay, I don't want your business. Because they waste 80% of your time. So you need to shake the dust. Here's an instruction from Jesus that applies to every area of your life. Shake the dust and move on and bring peace to somebody who is ready to receive it. Amen? See, there's some friends in your life, friends, air quotes, that you're trying to force a relationship with. Because it... They should be your friends. They should be your family. But they reject the peace of Jesus that you bring. And there's times that when you bring the peace, you just need to walk away. Pray for them. Love on them from a distance. But trust that the Spirit is still working it out in their lives. A lot of times, people need to take another lap in the wilderness to then have another chance at the promised land. Bring peace, shake the dust. See, Jesus is so beautiful. He, he doesn't force his peace on us either. He's very gentle. He's a gentle shepherd. And he won't force us to receive his peace. But he'll be there when we're ready for his peace. Next thing that Jesus said, this is, this is so cool. He said, be shrewd as snakes. Has this ever bothered anybody before that Jesus says, be, be like a snake? Like, that's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Be shrewd as snakes, be harmless as doves. Here's another fantastic tension. See, Jesus said, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. <laughs> sheep among wolves. That's a scary predicament if you're not laying down on the feet of the shepherd. But the she- remember, in the valley of the shadow of death, You don't fear any evil because his rod of protection and his staff of correction, yes, you need corrected, I need corrected, they're with you and they comfort us. The protection of the sword and the correction of the staff, they should comfort you even when you're sent out among vicious wolves. The shepherd's still there, his spirit's still guiding you. Be shrewd as snakes. Shrewd, it comes from the Greek word phroneo, which this is is so awesome. Check this out. It means the understanding and perspective of the heart. 
It means to think from within oneself, from your soul position, your heart condition, and then correspondingly display that in an outward action. This is why we talk about heart condition so much. And this is why the perspective and having the mind of Christ is vital. We are called to be shrewd, to find the correct perspective from within of the kingdom so that we can establish the correct action without around us to establish the kingdom. The kingdom within you always becomes the kingdom around you. The only question is what kingdom is within you. But here's this tension. Shrewd, but harmless. Harmless, or, or it means innocent. The, the Greek for harmless means, check this out, it means not tainted by sinful motives. So there's people that, and you've done it, I've done it, they've taken their shrewdness, but they've used it to manipulate a sinful motive. They, they've taken um, their, their mind, soul, and, 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 and um, their soul position and they've used that to manipulate a situation. They're not being shrewd and harmless. They're just being shrewd. We must not use our shrewdness like the snake did in the garden to try to manipulate the kingdom of the king. See, that's why I think Jesus uses a picture of a snake here. Because he's calling us to holy wisdom. Lucifer manipulated. He was shrewd, but he was not harmless. He had sinful motives. He was tainted by sinful motives. The beauty of the Holy Spirit resting on that wisdom, Jesus is, another name for him is wisdom. Picture when he, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, and the Father spoke over him, and then the, the Holy Spirit descended. It, it fluttered down. There was move, There's wind movement. Some people think it, was, it wasn't just this um, whispering uh, wind, but it was more of a, a real flapping of, of this dove. There was the Holy Spirit resting on that situation. But it showed him he, he was shrewd and both harmless. That's the picture of what Jesus is saying here. So we have to be wise, but we have to not let it come with sinful motives. Does that make sense? There must be a rushing of the Holy Spirit wind on the perspective of our hearts. Otherwise, it can turn into sin. The next instruction, Jesus says, be on guard. Be on guard. Stand trial for my sake. We're getting into some fun ones now. <laughs> Stand trial for my sake. Receive public beatings for my sake. See, there's only one thing that we should be concerned with protecting in our lives. It's the most valuable thing. It's our measure of success here at this church. It's the presence of God. That's what we guard with our lives. And we guard anything and defend anything that comes against that presence. We're both, we're both guarding it viciously, but expanding it violently. That's the tension that we're in. The presence is, is growing, but we have to guard against wolves coming in to try to manipulate it. So yeah, be on guard for his presence. But then stand trial for his sake. Receive public beatings 
for his sake. I don't think anybody's been drugged into the street here and whipped publicly. Maybe that'll happen sometime. But I do know many of us have experienced public beatings over social media, slander, other things. And our flesh wants to defend ourselves, doesn't it? And he says, no, don't defend yourself because there's something so valuable that you're doing if you're doing it for his sake. There's a value going to be produced in that. There's a fruit that's going to be produced in that that's going to be so valuable. And if you open up your mouth or type that text or post that post to defend yourself, you're going to lose all of that treasure. Receive public beatings. Don't try to defend yourself. Don't try to prove your accusers wrong. Don't bend to that temptation. There's only one person that needs to defend you, and his name is Jesus. And he will defend you. Stand trial for his name. So much value in it. So much maturing that will come from it. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it's worth it. Others around you, this is another reason to be in family. Others around you in family will come to your defense. And that's great. You should defend someone alongside of you. Remember Proverbs that says, let another man praise you and not your own lips. Yeah. Don't defend yourself. Then Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about what to say. This is so good. This will free all of us. Don't worry about what to say because if you're in that place of intimacy, if you're in that garden moment, Jesus is whispering in your ear. The Holy Spirit is with you. He's going to speak through you. And the Father will be speaking through you. If you are connected with the vine, you're going to release fruits of the Spirit. If you are in connection with him, if your heart condition is in the throne room, you're going to be speaking his words. That's the only thing you need to worry about. Don't worry about what to say. It's not a lack of preparation. You know, Peter said in, in one of his, chap- his books he wrote, he says, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Yes, you have to be prepared. We must be prepared. But this is about killing the spirit of perfection and replacing it with his presence. And one of the things that needs to go to the cross today and die is the spirit of perfection. If you've watched, um, you know, we've been doing this eight years at this church if you've watched people mature in either, even speaking up here or worshiping up here, and we're all going to keep maturing. But I think you've seen less of a reliance on having everything perfect and scripted and written out and messages and more of a leaning fully on just his presence. It doesn't mean you don't prepare, but the biggest place of preparation is just your heart condition. Because if the Holy Spirit tells me to throw my notes away, I need to be obedient to do that. And he said that over and over again to different, at different times and places. And the pre- preparation is a continual thing. It's not just a, I'm going to study my Bible for 10 minutes over here on a Monday morning. No, it's a walking with the Spirit daily, moment by moment, because he's moving at different paces. Sometimes he's saying run, 
Sometimes he's saying sit, and sometimes he's just saying walk. But you have to be cognizant of what he's doing so you can move with him. Because if you're not moving with him, then you're moving with somebody else. And it's out of that secret place. It's out of that place of hearing his whisper, that still small voice. Remember Elijah, when, when Jezebel went after Elijah, and he wanted to just die. And the Lord revived him. And he brought him to the mountain. Remember how he heard the Lord? It was through a whisper. The still, small voice. It was more powerful than all the other things going on. That's the place of preparation that our hearts need to continually be gardening, cultivating towards. That's the place, the place of the whisper where we can confidently and boldly shout what he's telling us in our ears. Then Jesus said this. He said, expect to be hated. Awesome. Because of me. If you're carrying him around, if, if you're sealed with the spirit, if his image is on you, then you can have this expectation that you will be hated. And the hatred comes from, remember, who we're fighting against. We're not fighting against people. We're fighting against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we're at war with. And there's a hatred because they know their end. They know where they're going. See, their punishment, the punishment of Satan and, and his, his devils, his demons is to stay around and watch us have victory over them. It would be too easy for God to just kill them right now and destroy them right now. They literally have to be, like it says in Psalm 23, they have to sit at our table of feasting and watch us be anointed and have our cups overflow. That's their punishment. So when you feel that hatred come against you because of Jesus, it's just a reminder that we're winning. We've won. He's won. You're experiencing part of the cross. And in the cross, you know what comes next, there's resurrection. Expect to be hated. And then he says this, be faithful to the end. Don't fall away. One of the, the prayers of my life over myself and this church is that we would, like Heather said, we're not just here to do this for a minute. We're here to be faithful to the end. We're not just here to do this for eight more years. We're here to be faithful to the end, to steward whatever he tells us to faithfully to the end. In Revelation, Jesus says over and over and over again to the churches, he says, but if you remain, if you remain, if you remain, if you're faithful to the end, you'll get this. You'll get a new name. You'll get a white stone. You'll get this. There's gifts of, of, of Jesus has for you because of your faithfulness. Don't fall away. Many will. Just like in my vision, all, most everyone fell off their horses. Most everyone fell away. But there is a remnant. You're with it in this room this morning. There is a remnant that is faithful to the end, that is rising up, that says, come what may. We know the end of the story. We're fine with going to the cross because we know there's a better body. We're fine with killing my body. That's the power we have over the enemy, right? Revelation 12, we defeated him by the blood of the lamb. The word of our testimonies, that's, that's publicly declaring it, preaching it, announcing it. And the fact that we don't love our lives unto death. 
because we know the next life is even better. The next body is much, much better. Come on, somebody. I think we're, we're in this mode of being so fearful. We hang on. We hang on. I'm not saying this life is beautiful. It really is. But we have to get to the place of not being afraid of death. There's so much power in that. Man, I'm telling you what, if you can get to that place, it is so beautiful. Be faithful to the end. And Jesus says this, don't be afraid or intimidated. We read this already. God will bring everything out into the open. Every secret will be told. See, intimidation is from the enemy. Fear is a liar. You and I are righteous. We are called to be bold as lions. Bold as lions. We are Davids who intimidate Goliath, not the other way around. Everything will be exposed. You're actually seeing that going on in the world right now. Everything is being shaken to be exposed. And there will be more exposing. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. So the only thing that remains is his kingdom. Amen? It's a, it's a beautiful time to be alive. It's war, but it's beautiful. <laughs> we won't bow to fear. We won't let principalities intimidate the sons and daughters of the king. He's tried to this week. The enemy's tried to intimidate our sons and daughters this week. He's come against them, the accuser of the brethren. But remember, when you see that happening, good things are about to happen. You're about to step out of the valley of the shadow of death into the feast that God's prepared for us. Because listen, the ancient of days in Daniel, it says the ancient of days has ruled in favor of the saints. And it's time to take possession of the kingdom. That's why we started with preach. The kingdom of heaven is here. It's right now. And you and I are called to establish it here on earth, in our city, in our region. And Jesus says this. He says, what I say to you in the dark, repeat in the daylight. What I whisper to you, shout it loudly. Five years ago, I can't remember exactly, five or six years ago, I was, it was in January, January 12th, it was Heidi's birthday, about four in the morning, I woke up, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again, because it's testifying, I woke up like, the only way I can describe it, it was, it was a whisper, but it was so loud that it shook me awake, and I heard the father say, what was closed is now open. And I just lay there for another hour, just not in fear, but in reverence of what he had just spoken. And immediately I knew what was closed is now open. I knew that referred to the spirit of religion over this region. Because one of the principalities that's been over this region is the spirit of religion. And I can recognize that because as an outsider coming from Canada, I dealt with the spirit of religion in my childhood. And now when I come to another region, I was very aware of what was going on, even 20, 22 years ago when I came. What was closed is now open. He's tearing off principalities that have been attached to this region for far too long. But he's wanting to, us to partner with him to establish his kingdom as he rips that principality off. 
as he closes the door on the principality, he opens the door for the kingdom. And you and I must partner with him in that. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says this, The Lord God has secrets known to no one. Thank you, Jesus, because if we knew everything, then we would be him. So we'll never know everything. We never know all of his secrets. But the beautiful thing is he releases mysteries to kings, you and me, and queens, that are so desperate for him. That's, he hides mysteries. He hid the mystery of the cross from, from the dark powers. Because if they would have understood it, they never would have tried to kill Jesus, right? It was the most tragic but yet most amazing thing that ever happened. It was a whole mystery that he hid from them. And then he was like, ha-ha, gotcha. I exposed you. You thought you had won. Wrong, wrong answer. I win. The Lord God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. The level of your revelation determines the level of your obedience. The level of your revelation determines the level of your obedience. This isn't an excuse to close your eyes and hide in a cave until Jesus comes back. This is an opportunity to take what he's given you in the mystery and sow it, to take the whisper and shout it. When he gives you revelation, you, you are a steward of that. You are accountable forever for the secrets that he has revealed to you. It's like the parable of the talents. He gave different people different talents, didn't he? It wasn't about the amount that he gave. It was about the obedience if they were going to be faithful with what he had given them. Then the one who was not faithful that didn't do anything with that, didn't steward it at all, he took that at the very end and gave it to someone else who was going to steward it. The same thing with his revelation mystery. If he releases revelation to you, of course, test it. Test every spirit. Make sure it's right. But if he releases it to you, you better not hold that seed in your hand. You better sow that. You better shout his whisper. Otherwise, you will be held accountable forever for the things that he has released to you. Then he says this. Don't fear those who can only kill your body. Fear only God. We talked about this a little bit already. There are so many people that are in bondage to what people think. You're more concerned with what someone on the left or right of you right now thinks of you and your actions than you are of what your Father in Heaven thinks of you. That's called the fear of man. And that needs to be brought to the cross today, and it needs to die today. That's also the spirit of Michael. Michael was David's wife, and when, My when David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant up the hill to Jerusalem that carried the presence of God, David was out there just basically stripping off his clothes, dancing before the Lord. And Michael stood in the window, didn't even go out there, stood in the window and accused him from a distance because of fear of man. That's that same spirit. And we have to kill off that spirit. We cannot steward the presence of God well if that spirit is around. I'm not saying it's a one-time easy process. You have to put it to death every day. 
but you have to get to the place of intimacy in the garden that you are more concerned with the voice of Jesus in your ear than what everyone else around you is saying about you. There was a man years ago, I think Heather was there, this is before we were married. We were at a conference in Knoxville, Tennessee, and the preacher was preaching a message about the fear of man. I'll never forget this. And he's sweating and he's preaching, and it was such a powerful word. It, it, it spoke to my heart. But then he got down on his knees, or we thought he was getting on his knees. And he literally died right there as he was preaching. He died preaching about the fear of man and the fear of God. What a way to go out. What a way to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll never forget it. That, that made his message so much more powerful. It was such a hard thing to be a part of, but yet such a beautiful thing for him to say he gave it until his last breath. He was faithful until the end. May that be us. The spirit of the fear of man needs to die today. See, the only one you need to be fearful of, and that's only in a holy and reverent way, is your father. You replace, when you, when you cut something off that's of the enemy, you have to replace it with something of the father. And so you replace the fear of man with this holy reverence and awe of God. That's what we're going to do today. Then Jesus said this. He says, don't worry. Your father has all the details in control. Openly and publicly acknowledge Jesus. This, this kind of goes hand in hand with the fear of man. See, like John, we have to operate from the throne room. We have to come up here. As apostles, we have to operate from that place seated in heavenly realms far above all this, the chaos and noise of what's going on in the first and second heaven. We must fix our eyes and our gaze on one throne and one king, the lamb whose blood was shed, the lion who roars victorious. Here's the deal. Turn off the news. Probably 95% of it is lies anyway. Turn it off. I'm not saying don't be a, you have to be aware of what's going on around you. I'm saying that, yes. But I'm saying most of us are spending 90% of our time looking at what's going on in the world and 10% of our time reading the word. Turn on the word in your life. You want to know the truth? The truth will set you free. You know what to do. But it's the discipline to get there. And the discipline produces the desire. Meditate on it day and night. Then what? Meditate on it, on it day and night. What happens when you meditate on it day and night? You will become successful in a few things. No. You will become successful in all that you do. Anybody want to be successful in everything that they do? Meditate on his word day and night. Meditate on it day and night. If you're doing that, you won't even have time to look at the news. So there you go. See, we're so worried. We've got all this friendly fire happening in the kingdom. 
we got a revival happening over in Kentucky. Praise Jesus. But half of the kingdom's like, well, is it a revival or an awakening? Or is it this or is it that? Like, are you serious right now? We're going to argue about what to call it? How about we just let the Lord do it and be thankful for it? Let, let me settle this right now in case you were on the fence. We've been having revival in this church for eight years. Come on. Yep. The only question is, there have been moments that you've participated in it and moments that you haven't. Revival starts in one place. If you're concerned about where it's happening, there's only one place it starts, right here in your heart condition. That's the only place you need to be worried about if revival is going on or not. Otherwise, you start asking questions about, oh, is revival happening in David's life or Asbury or Fresno, California? You start do- asking those questions, you're partnering with the enemy. You're, part- you're doing what-, what the devil said in the garden. Did God really say? And you start questioning what God's doing instead of focusing on the revival in your own heart. That's where you need to start. Jesus said this, my coming will bring conflict and division, not peace. Fun. You will have enemies within your own families. Also fun. Don't love father, mother, sister, brother more than me. Here's what I know. There's more conflict and division and enemies within families than I've ever seen or heard about before. And that's hard. That's a really hard thing. But you know what that means? That he must be very, very close. Because he says, my coming will bring conflict and division. He must be very, very close. His coming brings conflict and division. Why? Because when the Prince of Peace walks up, it stirs up all that other junk. He's here. He's now. The kingdom is happening. And when you sense that division, that's a trigger for you to lean fully on him. When you feel that demonic conflict, that's a reminder to rest in the arms of the shepherd. See, you're going to have enemies within your own family. It's not a maybe. It's a certainty. That's why he says don't love. This is a hard thing to hear. Don't love your father, mother, brother, sister more than me. That's tough. See, something else that needs to die today is the idolatry of father, mother, sister, brother. Some of us are more in love with family members than we are with Jesus. And when they turn out to be influenced by the enemy and they turn against you, and your love is more rooted in them than your Savior and your Lord, then that will really jack you up. Jesus says this, follow in my steps. Share my cross. And this isn't getting easier, guys. But it's so beautiful. See, from the moment you turn to Jesus, he's been inviting you to follow him. Like I said, he's on the move. The only question is, are you continuing to follow after his steps? Because his steps lead to the cross. 
And he's not only just calling you to follow his steps, he's calling you to die. To a lot of different things that we've talked about today. To a lot more things. To pick up your cross daily and follow him. He's calling you to share in his suffering. See, following Jesus is not the easiest way. The road that's easy is very wide and it leads to destruction. Because this path is narrow and it's bloody and brutal and it hurts and it's painful and there's a call to real suffering. A call to the cross, but it's so beautiful. Because what comes after death on the cross? New resurrection life, new power. See, the the power of the cross is incredible. By the stripes of Jesus, you are healed right here, right now. We're going to do that in a few moments. By the blood of Jesus, it speaks a better word over your life than any other word that has been spoken over you by the enemy. We share in his suffering to share in his glory. He's taking us from glory to glory, which means he's taking us from suffering to suffering to glory to glory. So when you see suffering, say glory. Right, Marv? Glory. Thank you, Jesus, for suffering. There's some things that need to go to the cross today in your life and my life. But they're meant to be exchanged for something that's far better. There's a, there's a painting in my office that Alex painted for me. It's, it's this white on white. It's beautiful. I look at it every day. Thank you, Alex. If you want a painting for your home or office, go see Alex Gray. But I call it the exchange. The exchange. Because though your sins are as scarlet, he will make them white as snow. You exchange beauty, ashes for beauty. You exchange at the cross. The cross is a place of exchange where you exchange something that's of death, something that's of sin, for something that's of life. See, the enemy comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But there's an exchange. The king of kings has come to give you life, and not just give you breath in your lungs, but give you life more abundantly, that table of feasting with him. It's a beautiful exchange, but it requires to go to the cross first. It's the only place that the exchange is possible. And Jesus says this, let go of your life. Surrender everything to me. Everything. It's that hands wide open position. As soon as you feel your grip on something, you've got to open your hands back up. There's nothing that shouldn't be surrendered to Jesus. You overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb the word of your testimony, and the fact that you don't love your life even unto death. You're releasing your grip on your own life. That's the power of the cross. We don't fear those that can only kill the body. We only have a holy awe and reverence for Yahweh, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who made you who you look like. That's the beauty of surrender. But we have to keep doing it over and over and over again. That's how we work out our salvation. 
It's not a one-time step that you take after Jesus. It's a step and a step and a run and a step and a walk. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the Father. See, because you are a carrier of the presence of Jesus, when someone receives you, they also receive him. And when they receive him, they receive the Father. This is so important. This is why what you bump into is so important, that you're bringing the peace. Are you being received or not? Because if you're bringing his presence with pure motives and a pure heart, you're bringing Jesus and the Father in that situation. That's a beautiful picture. And then this, receive God's profits and receive God's rewards. Give a cup of cold water to my disciples. Receive God's profits and receive God's rewards. There's a tension here because we are called to confront false prophets and antichrist spirit. We live in a day and age, like I said, that those spirits are rising on the earth because they're being exposed. And so we in the kingdom have to help expose those false prophets and false spirits. But simultaneously, we must cheer others on in the kingdom. We must receive prophets that are doing the kingdom's work with honor. We must honor pastors and evangelists and teachers and apostles that are doing the Lord's work. Too many times we're fighting against ourselves. We're fighting against churches because of pride or, or who knows what else. There is a reward in receiving the prophets of God. There is a reward in giving a cup of cold water to, to who? Who are we supposed to give it to? To my disciples. That's every single person sitting to the left or right of you. You're supposed to be giving a cup of cold water to them. To those who lead the church, we must receive and honor. We cannot be the cause of division and quarreling among the kingdom. How simple is it to give a cup of cold water to somebody? And when I say a cup of cold water, it can be a text. It can be just stopping for one moment to have a conversation, a word of encouragement. You know, so many times the power of life is in our tongue, the power of death or life. Are we giving encouragement and building up? Or are we tearing down? Now we have to have the hammer of building up in one hand like Nehemiah did and the sword in the other hand, but the sword is used against the enemy. It, it, gets, it gets brutal sometimes when the demonic is attached to people that we love. We have to cut very carefully and we cannot be gentle with the demonic though. We have to cut and kill, but we build up the person. We build up the image bearers that Jesus died for. Give a cup of cold water to someone this week, to someone today. Because when you do, it shifts the atmosphere. It changes heart conditions, starting with yours. Because all of a sudden, your eyes are not focused on you anymore. You're focused on encouraging someone else. And there's so many people in this family that do that so well. 
Why don't you stand to your feet? The kingdom of heaven is here. Close your eyes for just a moment. The kingdom of heaven is here. He's very close. He's very near. And he's instructed us this morning to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and to raise things that are dead. If you're sick in your body this morning and you want to be healed by Jesus, I'd invite you down to this altar this morning. If you want to kill the fear of man right now and be the first one down here, I'd invite you down to this altar this morning. If you want to kill the spirit of Michael this morning that's just been looking on while the presence is coming up the hill and Davids are rejoicing and you've been sitting back with your arms crossed, come to the altar this morning and break that off. Bring it to the cross this morning. This is just between you and the Lord. This is just you and the Lord, you and the Father. We're in the throne room right now. And he's shifting things in your heart. He's bringing things to mind in your heart that need to come to death on his cross. And his blood will cover them and then exchange them for life. Whatever needs to die in your life today, bring it to him. Bring it to the cross. If you felt this week like all of hell has come against you, if you've heard suicidal thoughts, if you've heard things that are not of God, come up front right now. We're going to cast that, that stuff out. If you've been dabbling in witchcraft, the occult, Ouija boards, horoscopes, tarot reading, palm reading, any of that garbage that's from the pit of hell, and you want that exposed and exchanged this morning, come to the front. We're going to cast out demons that are attached to you so that you can have life. If there's a promise of God that you've given up on, but you, you know in the back of your mind that it's a promise, all of his promises are yes and amen, but you've let that die, Come to the front this morning. We're going to raise the dead promise. We're going to raise the dead thing. Whatever you're bringing to the cross this morning, it's going to be exchanged. If a religious spirit is on you and you want that exchanged for the spirit of life and of the Lord, come to the front this morning. Father, you see your sons and daughters. And we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Jesus. Father, we fix our eyes on you and we come to your throne room. You're so beautiful. 
You're the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And in this moment, if you don't know him, you can turn to him right now. His name is Jesus. He died for you, and he'll exchange your sins for life. You just need to stop walking your own way and walk towards him. Just turn your heart over to him right now. Release your hands open to him right now, and he'll exchange that. He will mark you with his name. He will write your name in the book of life. So, Father, in Jesus' name, and I'm going to ask if you feel drawn to anoint anyone up here, leaders, please come do that. In Jesus' name, we say that the sick are healed. By your stripes, we are healed. By your wounds, right now you're setting bodies back into order the way they should be. We speak life over every situation that physicians have even said death over. We speak life. We speak life over the impossible right now because with you there's nothing that is impossible. We speak to the mountain and say move right now in the name of Jesus. Move. Shift things, Father, in in bodies. You are the great physician. You are the healer. You see all. In Jesus' name, be healed. Father, today we come with your power and your authority against the demonic realm that has come to attack and steal, kill, and destroy. We say no more. We say that you're actually flipping these situations of attack around because you want to bring life into those situations. And so in the name of Jesus, we cast out these spirits. We cast out the fear of man, and we bring in your spirit of humility. We bring in the reverence and awe and worship of Yahweh, the Most High God, and we cast out any fear of man, any fear of family that are turned enemies towards us. And we speak to that spirit of Python that has been constricting voices for too long, that has been manipulating voices for so long. That spirit of Leviathan that has been underneath the surface of the waters that has tried to manipulate and twist and speak lies of suicide and, and thoughts that are not from you, Father. And we say, be gone in the name of Jesus right now. You have no authority over these people anymore. And we place the blood of Jesus on the door frames of every heart in this place today that is willing to receive you so that the spirit of death cannot come in, cannot speak words of death anymore. We replace those with the life and life more abundant, joy more abundant, that those, those lies of death would be replaced with hope of life. And we speak militant hope. We speak the fruit of the Spirit over these souls right now. Joy, peace, patience. We speak love. We're thankful for your banner over this place today, that it is love. There is no other banner that waves above us but the love of the Father and the love of the Son. Jesus is walking right beside you right now in your situation. He went through all that pain and punishment just for you.
to redeem you and restore you. We call out the spirit of religion. We say your days are numbered. That door is closed over this region. And we bring in the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, who causes trees to move and shake in the gentle breeze and the hurricane. And we say, come, have your way with us, Father. Blow from the four winds. Light a fire in our hearts that we said it must have been him. Did our hearts not burn from within us? Burn away the chaff and everything worthless, Father, and replace it with that sea of glass, that peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Father, we speak against that that woman Jezebel who curses the church and we say no longer your attachment is done you are cut off and may every curse that's come against this church and these people be replaced with the blessing of God that you are turning what was meant for a curse and it's actually a blessing Father we receive the favor of of God Father we want to see your face turn your face towards us Father be gracious unto us Because if we can just get a glimpse of your face, it will change everything. It will shift everything in our lives. Let your glory fall in this place, Jesus. We raise the dead things that have been brought to the cross this morning. Every dead thing, the thing that needs to die that you've brought to him, he's nailing it to the cross and his blood is covering it and he's making a public spectacle of the demonic forces that tried to shame and guilt you over and over again about that thing. And he's replacing it with his love. And you're gonna leave it at the cross this morning. He's replacing it with grace upon grace. So Father, we bring our very lives to you this morning. We say the enemy can't touch us. And if our bodies die, praise God. We are with you, Jesus, heart and soul. Do everything that you have in mind in and through us. Everything that you have in mind. We submit to you, King Jesus. You are the lion and the lamb, the peaceful lion, the roaring lion, gentle lamb that was slain for us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you for the healing. Thank you for cutting off the chains of the oppressive forces. Thank you for raising the dead things. And we proclaim this, fear is not our future. Fear is not our future. We say hello to the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. We welcome you in this place, Jesus. We welcome you in this place.